Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature-N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hello and good morning. Welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. It's great to see you. I'm Trevor Cochran. We have got a fantastic program for you today, packed full of brilliant down-to-earth gardening advice. And it's your chance to actually, of course, to ask your questions, which is what it's all about. We've got some real inspiration coming up on today's live stream. Jade Miles will join us. She's talking about her new book, Future Steading, and um, it's Living Like Tomorrow Matters. It's a really important message Jade's got. She's put it down in an inspirational guide to living in a way that really values tomorrow. So we'll talk to Jade a bit later on. Garden Express will be back. The offer last week was, well, sensational. Unfortunately, I think it took off and sold out. And then on the weekend, we talked about Baronia. And, of course, the Garden Gurus is back on the weekend. It went crazy. And uh, we'll talk to Rowan a little bit later on from Garden Express about that and what else they've got in store at the moment because we're all shopping online because so many of us have been locked down, which is very unfortunate. But it does give us a chance to get out into the garden at the very best time of the year. And that's one of the things that's just so good is things are starting to warm up, the ground's warming up, there's more daylight hours and your plants are taking off and growing really well. A bit later in the episode, I'm gonna to talk to you about my plants of the week. And I say plants of the week because I couldn't quite make up my mind between blueberries or papaya. And maybe, maybe you're growing one or the other and maybe you have had some challenges. What we would love you to do is to ask us about them, tell us about your plants, maybe share a photograph of what you're harvesting um, or maybe some of the challenges. I know we've had a few people tell us that they've had a few issues with their blueberries or they think they've got issues. I don't think they are, but we can talk about that. So make sure you tell us about it. And remember, when you're doing this, well, put a post up, tell us what area you live in. So ideally state... Um, town or, or suburb where you're living, it really helps me when, of course, I'm answering your questions. And if there's something that we talk about, then hit your like button. It shares it with your friend and uh, all your friends then can tune in and participate as well. And as as of always, we've got things to give away like these. These are absolutely fantastic. These are packet seeds from the guys at Mr. Fothergills. And now is the time to be planting your packet seeds. And if you're out there and you've got roses and they're just starting to take off and grow, maybe it's time to keep your eye out for this book. We're going to give away a copy this week. It is The Rose. Uh, it's been around for a while. Neville Parsler and I wrote that uh, quite a few years ago. But it's got contributions from some really eminent horticulturalists and some great rose experts, David Austin, Lee Siebler, um, Finbar O'Leary from Swains in New South Wales. It goes on and on and on. Of course, my mate Anthony Tesla as well. So get your questions in. What I do want to do is talk about edible plants through today's session. So I'd love you to be sharing your tips and hints for things that you're putting into the garden at the moment, or if you've got questions about things that are growing that maybe are not delivering the results you're looking for, this is your chance to be able to get your questions in. Now, I know we've got a lot of things going on, but this is the time to be growing fruit and veg at home. And King is in Perth. He's a, he's a great friend of ours. He joins us almost every week and he's sent a photograph in. It's well worthwhile taking a look at this photo. Now, he's got bananas that have never fruited. Now, I believe they're dwarf. Now, they look like they're dwarf, uh, a dwarf variety. I'm not 100% sure which one it will be. 
Um, but they haven't grown much taller after two to three years and they are not producing fruit. So two to three years is the critical part of King's questions. Um, now, he's basically said, what do I do to stimulate fruit production and do I need to remove the young plants? That's those suckers coming at the bottom. Now, the suckers will be future fruiting plants. Remember that we talked about um, bananas last week. They are a giant herb. That's the great thing about them. And it's actually that root system underneath the ground that's vitally important. And when I conducted trials on growing them in my garden, I found that I had a whole bunch of issues that were were coming on with regards to the growth. They weren't growing fast enough. Um, typically in the Perth metro area, a banana, because of our cool winters, is going to take a lot longer than it would, say, in northern Queensland or in Carnarvon in Western Australia, which is a lot hotter pretty much all year round. Two to three years is typical of how long it will take a banana to produce fruit in Perth. So, Ken, I reckon this is your year. Removing some of the little suckers off the side will give you more plants. And this is something that you can do. So it's very much about getting the biological life and the soil going strongly. So I use that fertilizer, Trefort AM, that's got the microbes in it. So the key is building up your soil microbes and I think getting really strong activity. That's how I got bananas producing fruit in 18 months instead of 28 months. So that two to three year period down to two years quite easily if you change the nutrients that you're putting into the soil. So my advice is have a look at your soil. Give it a little bit of um, mulching is always a good thing. It looks quite sandy, Kang. Um, sandy's okay because sandy means that moisture is flowing through, nutrients are flowing through, but you need to make sure that you're keeping the moisture up around that corm, that base of the root system where your bananas grow. Now, we, we mentioned uh, blueberries a little bit earlier on. Ricky is in Adelaide. Hello, Ricky. Hello, everybody in South Australia. Thanks for joining us. Um, I, I should mention, uh, Michaela just mentioned to me, our producer today, that we um, need to make sure that we're putting where we're from up on screen. Kelly's got a great question for us. There's a couple of others that have popped up, and at first we weren't sure where you were from. But we, we if you just let us know, pop it in your you know, either the city or ideally the, the town or suburb, it really does help me a lot. Ricky's in Adelaide growing a blueberry plant. It's the first time growing them and it's in flower. Awesome, Ricky. Great news. You know what this means? It means that you're going to get fruit. So those flowers will be followed by a little tiny fruit and they will obviously evolve into those beautiful blueberries that we all love and are so good for us. So blueberries are one of the richest sources of antioxidants you can get. I'm growing a hedge of them at home, so I've got a lovely little compact variety, um, growing a beautiful hedge of them, and um, I would be expecting, I think, quite comfortably this spring we will get, I'm going to take a rough guess and say as long as we pick them, we'll comfortably have somewhere between 5 and 10 kilos of blueberries, which is more than what we can eat, but what, what we tend to do with them at my place is we collect them, pop them so that when they're ripe, if you're not eating them fresh, pop them into freezer bags and freeze them because you can use them at any time of the year thereafter and they are good for you. Kelly is in Collie. So thanks very much, Kelly, um, for joining us. You want, oh, you're, sorry, you're in the garden and it's a beautiful day down there and you're pruning your roses. Maybe not the most popular job with roses, but a very important one. In fact, the more you prune them and follow with a feed, the more flowers you will get. And so the further north we are in Australia, the, the further advanced the roses are right at the moment. So people in the northern parts, so in Brisbane, for example, those people that are getting some great results up there with roses tend to be experiencing a few challenges at the moment. So their challenges tend to be things like aphids starting to appear, possibly some fungal diseases. But in WA, the growth, and particularly collie, it's a little bit on the cooler side at night. Um, it's basically a place where it's just starting to probably move. Once we start to get a few warm days, you'll see a few little buds starting to move. Perfect time, Kelly, to be pruning. And typically in Perth, it would be the first week of August or the last week of July that you would prune all your roses. Don't forget also, folks, that if you've got deciduous fruit trees, um, this is probably your last week of being able to prune them before you produce all that flower and new growth starts to come through. Kylie is in Victoria. Um, she's got a question about um, planting and growing edibles. 
She's got lots of Warrigal greens at the moment and some old man saltbush. How cool is that? Warrigal greens, of course, is a native to the east coast of Australia, New Zealand and some of the South Pacific Islands. And uh, she, you know, when, when you actually look at that, if you're picking the fresh growth, and one of the big tricks with it is it can be quite bitter. But if you take the greens and you've got all the fresh growing tips, you pop them into a colander in some water and you just sit them under that water, leave them for five minutes, all the bitterness comes out of those warrigal greens. Give them a quick rinse, maybe um, just, just thoroughly wash the water off and any of those um, those uh, bitterness, uh, bitter uh, chemicals that are still there, get them off the plant and then steam them use a bit of garlic, use maybe a little bit of butter even if you're just going to quickly um, use them as a as a green on a dish and they taste fantastic. And Old Man Saltbush has become one of the trendiest things in restaurants at the moment. Easy to grow as long as you've got free draining soil. Um, easy, easy to grow. Interesting thing about it is that um, you'll pay a fortune for it but you can grow it at home and you don't have to pay that, that premium price that you would pay in a restaurant for it. Nadelia, that's uh, that's a lovely name. Nadelia, thanks for joining us. We're not sure where you're from, unfortunately, but you've got a small lime tree in a pot. The leaves have fallen off and a few flowers have come out. Is that normal? No, it's not normal. Leaves shouldn't be falling off, but they will do if there's not enough micro and macronutrient in the soil. So this is where those really complex controlled release specialist fertilizers are really important, particularly for limes. So look for a controlled release citrus fertilizer, something like Osmocote. Absolutely brilliant. Will really keep your lime tree in a pot growing really well. And the funny thing about this is you need to make sure that you are applying this on a regular basis. So normally those controlled release fertilizers say three to four months or maybe four to six months. If it says three to four months, feed it every three months, okay, because citrus are really hungry. They love it. Namala is in Perth. My protea is doing well, but no flower buds uh, yet. Interesting. What can I do to boost growth? Actually, Namala, now is the time not to feed them. Um, it would have been probably May, would have been a good time to give them a boost, but they will produce flower buds or bracts, um, depending on the type of protea you've got. And uh, you don't want to encourage too much um, more growth at the moment because that can mean that the plant produces growth ahead of producing flowers. Don't feed it. Let it come into flower. Prune those flowers off once they've come through and then give it a feed. And you do have to use a specialised native plant fertiliser for proteas, okay? Proteas originate from South Africa, not from Australia. The proteaceous family is found in both continents and in some parts of South America too. But the interesting thing about it is that um, they all need to be fed with the same type of fertiliser. So look for your native plant fertiliser. Really important. Angela is in Geelong. Lovely to have our friends in Victoria joining us. Angela um, has got a question. Is it best to pick the ripe lem lemon or can you leave it on the tree until uh, you need them? Um, they won't hurt the tree staying on. No, no. Angela, so... I leave my lemons on the tree as long as I possibly can. In fact, nine times out of ten, um, I wait till they fall off because they really are at their juiciest at that moment in time. They're at their ripest and they've ripened naturally. So they've got all the natural sugars that have come through, this beautiful spring sunlight that's starting to come out, and they are so much better. Once you've picked them, they're on the decline. They start declining in both their nutrient or the caloric value and also um, they obviously start sort of slowly dying. So the only way to slow that down is to put them into a refrigerator or to make sure you're using them really, really quickly. Leave them on the tree. They're nice and alive. They're still being fed by the tree. It's not doing any harm to the tree and the tree will naturally drop them when it's ready to do so. At that point, you just got, got to make sure you pick them up. Now, where? Let's go to Queensland. Scott is in Ipswich. Scott's a regular. Great to have you join us again, mate. Um, when's the best time to plant goji berries? Well, right now. So goji berries are deciduous and uh, the goji fruit will be something that will start to emerge basically from, from the start of the new growth. So when you head into your garden centre, you would go and buy them. You can probably buy them online from the guys at Garden Express, but they will come basically as a bare-rooted stick. And very quickly in the next two or three weeks, you're going to see little tiny growth shoots start to emerge and some flowers soon afterwards. And those flowers will be your goji berries. Now is the time to be getting goji berries into the ground. Now, 
I'm very excited because joining us is a very talented lady. And I can tell you that because she's produced a an amazing book. She's inspiring people and she's doing it through a process of leading by example. She runs Black Barn Farm, which is a biodiverse orchard. So she's got a nursery, she's got a work workshop space, and she's based in Victoria. It's become a magnet for visitors to learn more about permaculture. You've got also a podcast called Future Setting, and now you've written the book Future Setting, Live Like Tomorrow Matters. Welcome, Jade. Hello. Thank you. Jade Miles, you've done something pretty special. You, you've put together a book which in itself, having written a few myself, is a big achievement. It's it's quite a journey you go on as you're writing the book and getting your head around how you deliver your message and making sure that it's it's easily read. Yeah. Um, what we what we do find, of course, when we get to the end of it, you've got that enormous reward of sitting back and the satisfaction of looking at what you've achieved. How do you feel about it? It must be nice knowing it's it's obviously just coming out. Yeah, it came out on the on the shelves a couple of weeks ago. I've got a really engaged audience through our podcast and through our um, our, our farm so yep. um it i'm just sorry just on the screen just can't quite follow which whether our internet's working very well or not um no so you, you, sound, you sound great jane it's 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 uh, jade it's all going well tell me a little bit about black barn farm tell me about the farm yeah well we've been here as a result of a really long local food journey over the last 15 years where we've observed as multi-generational orchards around us have been pushed out um, and made a, a decision really pretty early on, maybe 15 years ago, that we would go into farming ourselves. And what we really wanted to do was go into small-scale farming so that we could see whether or not there was this potential for viability of small-scale farms to not only show people where their food comes from and engage people in that process and find celebration around that, but also to, to be financially viable. And um, so far, so good. We've only been on the roll for about six years. So we're still, mm -hmm. because most of it is fruit, we're still establishing some of our trees. But all our berries are in and all our workshops have been rolling for a number of years. And um, it really, the book, Future Steading, really summarises how we live and all the skills that people can do even if they're not on land. So that's the thing we kept getting asked all the time was how do we live like you even though we live in the city or how do we live like you even though we don't have the skills or the land? And so the book was really about bringing together the opportunity for people to reframe the paradigm in, in which they make all of their decisions um, regardless of where they live. So, Jade, just, just tell me, so... What when you say future steading, um, there's been a big movement with homesteading. So it's yeah. people tend to be on the the peripheral sort of edge of cities, um, on yeah. smaller size blocks are able to home homestead quite well. Tell me about future steading as 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 what it really means. Well, clearly it's got its roots in uh, homesteading, but the reality is that you can only homestead if you've got lots and lots of space whereas mm -hmm. the vast majority of Australians don't have lots and lots of space. So it's really about reframing what you do on a daily basis that allows you to make decisions that will give us a stable future or a steady future, hence the term future steading. Mm -hmm. But we, I've devised a series of, of pillars, which are not rules because we don't want anyone to feel like it's dogmatic and that there are rules that they need to follow. But there's certainly some concepts that really align with with future steading and it's about meeting mother nature so that's um, you know bringing your awareness back to the fact that we have evolved over a really long time in the natural world not in control of it not on top of it but deeply entrenched and enmeshed in it so it's about reconnecting with the natural world and that can look very different for everybody but whatever it looks like for you make a make a point of it celebrating simple so that's giving yourself space to really breathe and really observe and really push back on, you know, that endless onslaught for growth and for stuff and it's really appreciating things like swelling buds and the changes of seasons, which is in fact another um, one of the pillars, which is about saluting and honouring the seasons. Um, seeking ritual. So ritual is for some people as simple as starting their day early so that they can do yoga in the morning and have a beautiful cup of tea before the rest of the house wakes up. But for other people, you know, it's those rites of passage, it's the honouring of milestones in life, it's 
um, you know, bringing your small, tight clan together for great big bonfires at the at the winter solstice or the summer solstice. Whatever it is, it's those really rich layers that actually frame the culture that we live in and allows us to feel full and satiated even though we're not continuing to consume more stuff. So it really pushes back on that. Um, creating your clans, and that's about actively participating where you belong and, and knowing that you are just one of the sum of the parts and that all of us are shouldering what the future needs to look like together. And then, of course, the last one is uh, loving local. You know, if you consider yourself the centre of a spiral, whatever energy and love that you put out around you and if everybody else around you is doing the same, you end up with this sense of mutual trust, obligation and, and reciprocity that really empowers the entire community. Fantastic principles. So there's seven pillars of future setting. There are. There are. And so the first part of the book um, really is the why. Why the heck would you do this in the first place? And mm -hmm. I try not to focus on the doom and gloom of it because we know that doesn't make anyone want to change their mind, but on the fact that it really reframes and creates a beautifully rich life. And I've, I've then told the story of how I do that through the skills that I have um, by beautiful photos which make my life look a little more bucolic than it truly is in real life and uh, a, a series of six growing seasons. For me, my future setting language is very much about growing food and preserving food. That's mm -hmm. not everybody's uh, preferred approach though. For some people it's about waste mitigation or it's about, you know, um, social stabilisation or uh, medicine sovereignty. You know, I had an yep. interview a couple of days ago with someone who said, I don't want to grow food. I want to buy it from someone else, but I want to grow medicine and I want to stabilise people around me with medicine skills. So it's, yep. it's completely up to you as to what works. But for me, it's growing and preserving. So the back six chapters are really broken up into um, the awakening, alive, high heat, uh, the harvest, turning and deep chill. And it talks about all of the different rituals, creations, growing practices, feasting and nourishing activities that you would undertake in each of those six seasons. I love it. Absolutely love it. Now, you do talk about growing food and medicinal plants. And for new gardeners out there, that's going to be very inspirational. The, the more information we can get, I think, in the early stages, the more successful we are. And the more successful we are, the more we do it. So can you give us a couple of tips that you'd probably share right up front for people who are just getting started? Uh, I would say that from the outset, know that you're going to need to have a bit of gumption because it's highly likely that there will be failures along the way and that happens to every single one of us. I would say don't try to be all things to all people. You don't have to save all of your seeds, propagate all of your seeds out and then have success with all of your plantings. Start small and start with really, really good soil. Fantastic. And if you haven't got good soil, build it. <laughs> Fantastic advice, yeah. And you can build soil up too and that's probably a big part of uh, what you're talking about as well as that developing that healthy soil. Yeah, of course. And because our background is uh, farming, so we have an apple or heritage apple and pear orchard here and also a berry grove for pick your own, um, mm -hmm. it's foundational, completely foundational. And that has taken a really long time for me especially to embrace. My husband is more patient than I am, so he's more inclined <laughs> to say, let's wait one more season and do one more green manure crop. I'm inclined to say, let's get the bloody plants in the ground. But, um, <laughs> yeah, he, he wins, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> Mother Nature can't be rushed, but she can be no. assisted if we um, if we give her a few of the essential ingredients, if we keep that sort of carbon level up in the soil all those things, she tends to do it for us, which is good. Jade, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. Now, if people want to learn more about your workshops, um, about your book, futuresteading.com.au and also mm -hmm. blackbarnfarm.com.au, two great websites. Yes, that's right. So one is the podcast and book and one yep. is the farm, but they both mesh together pretty strongly. Wonderful. Look, thanks so much for joining us. It's a really interesting book. It's doing, I think, a lot of good for a lot of people who are trying to find out ways to live in a more sustainable way and in, in a way that does give us that future. So future steading is a great idea. Thanks so much, Jade. Thanks so much. Take care.
Garden Express are Australia's leading mail order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. That's great. What a great story. And of course, this is a book that I think for many of us who are constantly looking at producing our own food, our own our own medicine plants, this is the sort of thing that is really inspirational. So I thought that'd be a good story to bring to you. Now, today is all about your garden questions, and I've got to tell you, they are flying through. Thank you so much. Keep sending them through. Remember, if you're sending it through, tell us where you're from, okay? A really important thing to let us know where you are because it does affect the advice I'm going to share with you, and that's a really important thing. Um, let's start off. We're going to go to Melbourne. Margaret, she wants to know what are the best climbing beans to plant in the hills area of Melbourne? Love the purple ones. My dear mum grew when I was a kid, but I don't know their name. Now, there's a few different purple ones these days. In fact, can I suggest that you do jump online? Uh, if, if you're in Melbourne, there is a fantastic um, company there that does some pretty amazing work and that is the Diggers Garden Club. And they've got a great range of seed that you can shop through. I'm sure you can buy them online and get them delivered to your doorstep as well. But um, as far as purple, the last time I went through their range, they had at least three or four different purples. But there's a, a huge range of climbing beans. And the one that I'm in love with at home, and I live in the hills in Perth, bit cooler, um, not quite probably as cool as Monbolk, but certainly um, on the cooler side, uh, is snake beans. I grow a lot of snake beans at home. They're delicious, very easy to um, to prepare, obviously, very easy to grow, and I'm sure that they would do very well in the hills here of Melbourne. But, of course, um, best thing to do, if you ever want great advice on what's local, is to jump into your local garden centre. A little bit difficult at the moment when we're all in shutdown. Maybe you can do it online. Um, Eva's in Jandicott. Jandicott's in WA. And um, she wants to know, if you're planting more than one variety um, of pumpkin or corn on a suburban block, what do you do to ensure that they don't cross-pollinate? Like minimum distance or physical barrier. You know what? In a domestic environment, it's almost impossible, Eve, because bees move from plant to plant. So short of you putting some kind of insect netting over the top, which will affect the amount of light they get. And with pumpkins, that could mean greater uh, susceptibility to disease. Um, it's almost impossible to do it. And I'm just being completely upfront. Uh, if you get a little bit of cross-pollination, it's not too bad. Uh, what I would suggest is that you um, maybe liaise with your nearest neighbours. And uh, if you're going to plant out particular varieties, that you actually suggest to them that, that they do the same thing. Or if you're a really good neighbour, maybe you buy them a packet of seed when you're buying your packet of seed and take it around and say, look, I'm growing these. Why don't you grow these as well? And that's always a nice way to do it. So I, I would suggest that you take that sort of approach. It's almost impossible in, in a metro environment to stop cross-pollination because we want the bees in, but the bees are not going to just stay in your backyard. They're going to move from backyard to backyard to backyard, and they can travel up to five kilometres from their hive. So just um, maybe not the answer you wanted, but just a bit of reality hitting there. Make sure you hit the like button if you like what I'm telling you, okay? If you don't like it, then don't hit the like button. Just ignore it completely. But I would suggest that you hit the like button because it shares it with your friends. Got the guys here laughing around the outside. <laughs> um, Eurisha is in Victoria. Hello, thanks so much for joining us. I know you guys are in lockdown and with restrictions you're having difficulty getting compost manures for your veggie patch. Do I have any tips on how you can improve the soil without these? Now, started some sugar snap peas and some dwarf beans. You've also got some marigolds. Great mixture of, uh, of plants to have together too, by the way. Um, as far as improving the soil goes, when you can't bring in a lot of manure or a lot of compost because it's just not possible, and I'm not sure about deliveries in Melbourne, whether how that affects uh, companies that do that. But one thing that you can probably get delivered online to you, and I know Click and Collect is still working, is Blood and Bone. And Blood and Bone is a very good additive to existing soils. It does two things. 
it does give us a slight nutrient boost and it's the nutrients that edible plants need. So that's pretty handy. But one thing that it really does do is it provides food to the beneficial microbes in your soil and they will eat and consume any minerals, any organics that haven't broken down properly and they'll turn it into nutrient and connect it to the roots of your new developing plants, which will really get them off to a good start. So blood and bone, but check when you're like so this is a really important tip actually i i shouldn't over or understate how important getting the right blood and bone is some of the cheaper blood and bones you'll find have a very high urea rate in them and this is just throwing urea in which is very high in nitrogen it's not it's going to push a bit of growth so you will see results but it's not what blood and bone is about try and get the original blood and bone that is blood and bone without any added urea and you can buy it. There's um, certainly companies out there like Yates that um, that produce it. Keep your eye out for it. And remember, if you like what I'm saying, keep hitting that like button. And if you don't like it, ignore me. Uh, Nikki is in the hinterland behind the Gold Coast. My producer, Michaela, is just shaking her head saying, what's wrong with you, Trevor? Um, we've got to have a bit of fun this morning too, don't we? Um, the hinterland behind the Gold Coast is some of the most beautiful countryside you will ever see it is just beautiful nikki wants to know i can get seeds to sprout in seed trays but they don't survive being transferred into the veggie patch yes okay there's a there's a little tip i'm going to give you and that is that you have to go from the seed tray protected once you see them sprouting once you literally see the soil lift up they need to go out into full sun and you need to harden them up before you transfer them into the veggie patch and one little tip is once you're doing the transfer into the veggie patch, so you're pricking them out of the tray, you're taking them out, avoid damaging the roots as much as you can. Ideally, take two or three plants into each little planting hole and then water them in with sea salt. Really big tip. It does make the world of difference when it comes to getting good survival rates from freshly transplanted seedlings. Ali, um, we're not sure where you're from, Ali, but uh, I'm going to have... I'm going to, oh, this is an interesting challenge, actually. Ali said, I'm having trouble with my lawn smelling like rotting vegetation and it's squishy and muddy underfoot, not to mention clover and weeds galore. Please help. Ali, I'm going to make a suggestion for you. You need something that is highly absorbent to go in there. And there is something that you can use that is super special. It's called zeolite. Zeolite's a wonderful rock mineral highly absorbent and if you get yourself a couple of big bags of zeolite delivered you can actually walk around you can get those um i, I love watching nige on the garden gurus because nige always loves he's got his little coring shoes so you can buy these little coring shoes i think you can get them from garden express online and you strap them to your existing shoe and you walk around and it pokes lots and lots of little holes in the soil you do that and then you go and get the zeolite, and the zeolite opens the soil up. You can also add another additive, which is a type of um, it's a type of lime, calcium actually. Um, and um, it, there's pretty pretty much two options you've got. If you've got a slightly acidic soil, then you go to dolomite, or if you've got a slightly alkaline soil, go to gypsum. They're both forms of calcium, and when you get them and you put them into the soil along with the gypsum it opens the soil right up it gets air into the soil that improves drainage stops the squishy and stops the lawn from rotting which is literally what you are smelling it just can't handle the saturation of of the moisture that's currently there hopefully that helps ali um hassan again i'm not sure where you're from please tell us where you're from it does make a big difference i'm asking you why do my agapanthus plants flowers come out in winter and not summertime and that's there's not a problem there hassan there are some varieties that are bred to flower in the winter in fact i was recently at one of my local um, nurseries here in Perth. I went and had a bit of a walk around. It's a very big one called Banara Nursery. They grow plants, they sell them all over Australia, and they've got a great range of beautiful winter flowering or late winter flowering, early spring flowering agapanthus with like the deepest, darkest blues I've ever seen. They're just amazing. And that's what breeding does. Breeding allows you to sort of keep developing plants that flower earlier or maybe flower later. So it's just the variety you've got. It's not that they're doing anything wrong. Um, if you want to complement it, you can always go and get another 
sort of summer flowering variety and bring that in and interplant it in amongst them. And then you'll end up with flowers for a lot longer period of time. Now, this next person who's written in is, well, one of my favourites. It's Deb from Romsey in Victoria. Hello, Deb. Love you. Big kiss. Hope you're um, getting through things all okay over there. Now, Deb's problem amongst other challenges that she has in life is <laughs> now sorry about that Deb <laughs> is you keep killing your maiden hair ferns what are you doing Deb worked in the nursery industry for a long period of time she should know better um, maiden hair ferns interestingly enough don't like a lot of air movement and I reckon that they're probably getting exposed to extreme winds so try and protect them Deb reduce that down increase the humidity a little bit of fertiliser, ideally fish emulsion for maiden hair ferns. They don't like a lot and that'll do the job, uh, do the job Deb. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that, giving you a hard time. Um, I reckon we have just about hit, hit our – we have. We're doing pretty well. We've got a few more questions flowing through, um, but we're doing pretty well at the moment. We've got a, a bit of a promo coming up for you because this weekend, uh, just gone, the Garden Gurus returned to Channel 9. Next weekend, we've got another fantastic episode coming up, and this is something you want to look at. We've got 18 episodes. In fact, we've only got 17 more of spring gardening tips coming your way. So take a look at this little clip from our first episode. Buffalo grass is one of the most versatile varieties of lawn available to plant across Australia. I just love the dark green colour and the broad leaf. It's also the variety that's less prone to getting into garden beds, unlike some of the other varieties that produce runners. It's easy to grow and it's also well suited to shady positions no matter where you are. Now if you want more gardening tips, don't forget to tune in to The Garden Gurus this weekend. All right. Now, remember, don't forget to watch our show. Tune in this Saturday. We're playing at 2.30pm in New South Wales, Victoria and Queensland and 4.30pm WA, South Australia. And I think Tassie too. Check your local TV guides though to make sure that you don't miss us. And if you did miss last weekend's show, good news is you can watch it right now. You can watch it on ninenow.com.au. Great thing about this, um, this new sort of technology is that you can watch whatever TV show you like when you want, which is great. Over 20% of our audience these days is via ninenow.com.au. Let's keep going with some questions. All right, Ricky, not sure where you're from, Ricky. You've got trouble with your maidenhair fern too. It's in the bathroom. Now, one of the things that I've seen with maidenhairs that have grown in the bathroom is they love the humidity. They love it. It's great. But what can happen is if, as long as you've got your moisture levels right, as they get to a certain point, they become quite sort of well, I suppose root bound in the pot and it's time to just move them up a little bit. Now, if you want two maiden hair ferns, this is the great thing about this, is you can take it out of the existing pot, lay it down, put a knife right through the middle of it and break it in half, then plant it into two pots and you'll find that you'll end up with this fabulous new growth. It is the best way to end up with two plants and usually as they start to deteriorate they start to sort of struggle a little bit it's your first sign so transplant them really good potting mix make sure it's that red tick vitally important second thing start feeding them on a regular basis and I mentioned it to Deb earlier on but fish emulsion maidenhair ferns love it in fact all ferns love it it is a mild fertilizer but it's particularly rich in nutrients that ferns love so that's why you use it carol carol's in perth i know that because she's asking about when is the best time to put gladioli bulbs into the ground and i can tell you right now that my gladdies are just starting to poke their heads up so you're pretty much at the last stage to get them in now's the time to do it and you'll find that you'll end up with great growth in the spring. And as we move into the very early summer, so pretty much November, December, you're going to end up with fantastic flowers. I hope that helps, Carol. Dell, I've just removed weed mat from my garden mulch. Um, it's, oh, sorry, from my garden. The mulch above is very good. Lots of worms. How long before you can plant? And the answer is pretty much straight away, um, Dell. There's no reason why you can't be putting plants into the ground right now and the reason I say this is because once you've got a mulch that's full of worms they're aerating the soil they're actually taking all the goodness down a little bit deeper so putting plants into that while soil, soil moisture levels are as good as they are right now 
um, you can't go wrong. Now, folks, remember, click like if you like the answers and questions, if it relates to you, or if you just want to share it with your friends. Carolyn is in Victoria. Hi, Carolyn. I have a half wine barrel of daffodils. What should I be planting under them now so I can have colour after the daff stop flowering? Well, it's a good question because it's a very personal thing, Carolyn. It depends on what type of plants that you really like. Um, I would suggest that if, you, if you've got a really good result with daffs right at the moment, I've interplanted in amongst all my daffs things like, and it's, a, it's probably a little on the later side, but things like violas, pansies, uh, mine have been in for probably four weeks or five weeks, but they're just starting to take off. And as the daffs die back, they will come through and they'll provide probably another good month or two months of flower before they start to die off. And at that point, I would actually stop planting. I wouldn't put anything more in. I would give a controlled release fertiliser. I would let everything die down, cut the top off, just rest it just for a little while and then look at planting again. There are so many different things that you can plant that you'll get great results with. Um, if you look at doing it, well, I suppose after the, the, the pot has had a little bit of a rest. And if you're looking to get a whole range of these sorts of um, you know, flowering plants, particularly bulbs, there's one stop that you need to make and that is online. You need to go to gardenexpress.com. This is your online gardening shop. They deliver direct to your doorstep. And he's looking pretty sharp today, but we managed to get Rowan Peterson, who's the marketing manager out there at Garden Express, on board. Rowan, what have you done? You sent David out to the paddocks, or is he packing packing orders to go out at the moment? He is. He's packing orders. He's packing all those wonderful hippies you spoke about last week. Um, well, he's, he's let me out of my dug room to come and talk to you today. You've actually just reminded me, I haven't got my official order in yet. Is there, are there any left? There are a few left, but get in quickly. All right. All right. Because he did tell me that I had to actually go online and select the, the varieties. And when I went online, I kind of looked, there, there must be, I don't know, there must be 80 varieties or something there this year. It's phenomenal. Different varieties this year and some beautiful colours. Now, there are some selling out already, so make sure you do get in quickly, Trevor. Okay. Yeah. You might be on once you want. As soon as I'm finished, I will be jumping online. Tell me, on the weekend, we did a story about those amazing baronias that are being bred out of Kings Park and Helix Australia have been um, taking them and marketing them to cut flower growers and also to professional nurseries to grow as well. You managed to get your hands on a heap of them. How did they go? Was there a bit of interest out there? Absolutely. Um, in fact, I came in this morning and they were all sold out. Uh, so oh, we had, we, of the two varieties, the two Helix varieties that you saw, the two uh, varieties that you spoke about, the Magenta Stars and the Plum Bells, and we yep. did a duo. So we sold out of the duo and we also sold out of the individual items uh, over the weekend. Um, actually, I was watching the show um, at 2.30 here in Melbourne and uh, one of the varieties was sold out before the show even ended. So, uh, yeah, very happy with the way that it's going. Um, and I've uh, rounded up the team this morning um, and we are doing our very best to get some more stocks for everyone out there that may have missed out. Fabulous. The catalogue is sensational. You've got so many different things um, that, you know, when it comes to plants that are quite inspirational and very seasonal. But it's not all about plants like this is the time i mean i know you guys at garden express dig gardening but this is the time to really get your hands on a good range of tools and accessories too isn't it it, it really is and um and now's the perfect time because we've got a great great special on at the moment on our range of gardeners advantage tools uh, which is showing up there on the screen and actually Couple of a couple of people that you were speaking to before about the lawn aerator sandals. I remember seeing Nigel on the weekend crunching yep. around on his lawn, and we've actually got those as part of this uh, part of this range. Um, and you can get thirty percent off those at the moment, so they're only eighteen fifty, normally twenty four ninety. So um, great savings uh, to get your lawns looking fantastic. All right, that's great. I'm just I'm working out what I'm ordering as you as you're talking. So I've got my hippies that I've got to order. I've got I've got my um, begonias from last week that I've got to order. My aerator sandals for my lawn, absolutely essential. Um, yeah. This is this is good news. What else have you got? You've got gloves, propagating kits, plants yeah. la plant label. Plant labels are pretty important too. 
Yeah, we've got a good, good range of those. So we've got some plastic ones that come with a pencil as well so that you can uh, you can um, work out where all your things are. Plus we've got some aluminium ones which are actually scribed into the aluminium grate because they obviously don't fade or anything like that. So we've got a, a good range of those. I was going to ask you, Trev, how's your knees? Because we've also got a fantastic range of, uh, of kneeling pads um, and these are 50% off at the moment. These are only 22 bucks for the pair, um, usually 44 um, and they are... Really? They're the best. They're the best investment anybody can ever make, folks. If you don't have them, uh, and you're like me, as as, as I'm getting into uh, my my older years, I am finding that getting up, you know, because I want to get down and get hands on in the soil, but mm. uh, getting up those knees are a bit sore. But not with those um, protectors on. Those kneeling pads are fantastic. Yeah, they really are good. Um, and we've also got the the pad ones as well. So if you don't want to actually strap them to your knees, you can you can just get the kneel pad, um, and and it's made out of the same material and really comfortable. Yeah, look, um, I know they don't have a sexy look those strap on ones, but gee, they do. It means that you can drop at any point wherever you are and kneel down and get into it. It's fantastic. The, yeah, the, the, I, I'd much prefer the strap on than the. Um, than the, the 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 rubber one, but you know that's just how it goes. You've we've all got our choices. That's very true. That's very true. Um, the other thing that that I wanted to mention was the the Van Ber the Van Berkel range of tools. So the gift stuff, being that Father's Day is only in a couple of weeks, a lot of people yeah. can't obviously get out and see Dad this year. Um, we will. We've got these great savings. So we've got our pruners. We've got our hand tools, uh, which are you know presented in a nice wooden box. So a really great gift idea. Uh, plus the the uh, fork and spade set, um, outdoor gardens, uh, and and they're ranging from um, uh, thirty percent off right up to fifty percent off. So you can get the, the the fork and the shovel set for ninety nine dollars, which is half price at the moment. Perfect with that. That's amazing. Are you guys, you, you're going to be that busy. Are you going to be able to get all this out? How long does it take to get a delivery? Well, I mean, in terms of getting stuff to Dad, it's. A, I mean, we'd want to be getting in this week um, in yep. order to make sure that he gets it for Father's Day. But at the moment, we're working between 10 and 14 working days to get orders um, to customers. Um, and yep. obviously, with lockdowns, sometimes that can extend. But we're, we're pretty good at the moment. We're, we're, we're um, fairly up to date, which is really good. Rowan, hopefully everybody's checked their shed and they've got a fork and spade because we need those. Those are essential tools this time of the year in the garden and uh, there's nothing like a good quality fork and spade too. Mate, if people want to place their orders, it's as simple as going online, isn't it? It is. Just head to uh, www.gardenexpress.com.au. Um, it's all there. There's some great banners on the front page to find what you're looking for. Um, yeah, I mean, we've got, we've got, you know, 3,000 odd products on that website. Um, so jump online um, and we'll deliver it directly to your doors. Terrific. Well, I will be placing an order immediately after this show. So look out for look out for my name and uh, make sure you get them off as quickly as you can. There's nothing better than having these. Um, it's kind of quite a nice little feeling when uh, something turns up from Garden Express and you think to yourself, now, what was it that I ordered? Oh, yes, it was this, it was that. And you get out and get into the garden. It's fantastic. It is good and no better place to be at the moment. No, that's for sure, mate. Thanks so much for joining us, Rowan. We'll look forward to seeing you or David next week here Always on The Garden Gurus Live. See you, mate. See ya. Visit The Garden Gurus online store and browse through a collection of high-quality, German-made wolf garden tools. You'll also find a range of books with information to help create and maintain a beautiful garden. You can also access the online store on The Garden Gurus Facebook page. Great bloke, great company. They do some amazing work. And in this time when we, many of us are locked down and we can't get out to our local garden centre, there's never been a safer way to garden than to be able to order it online, get it delivered to your doorstep. And it is a nice sort of surprise when the box turns up and you get to go through and sort out your bits and pieces and then get out into the garden and get them into it. Remember, folks, gardening is good for you in so many ways. One is we're out getting fresh air, but it's also good for us mentally too. It does ground us and, and help us sort of relax and, and take some of those stresses of life. And we've certainly had our fair share thrown at us in recent times. Now, let's keep going because you guys are throwing a lot of questions my way. Remember, and, and I love a good challenge, but remember, if you, uh, if you want me to answer your question and get it right, I need to know where you're from. Um, nine times out of ten, 
it's it's something that might be quite specific to your local area. So uh, it does help me enormously if I um if I if I know where you're from. So town or state or uh, uh, ideally city where where you're living really does help me out enormously. And don't forget to click like. Okay. Let's get into these questions. Start throwing them at us. We've got ourselves about 10 minutes to go, so I want to get to as many as I possibly can. Leonie is in Adelaide. Hello, Leonie. It's great to have you join us. Um, two aquilegias. Now, aquilegias are sometimes known as columbines. They are absolutely beautiful flowers, a really old-fashioned, traditional cottage garden flower. She got a couple from Garden Express, whose plants are always great. That's great feedback. Thanks, Leonie. Can these be planted in the same pot? And how do I look after them? Well, you know what? The important thing is to get them into a pot or into the ground. They grow well either way. The thing is that now's the time to do it. They will take off and really start to grow. They'll be in flower in a month's time if you get them into the ground now. Um, I would suggest that you put them into separate pots only so you can admire their beauty Um individually because each of the flowers are really quite special and unique and if you don't have them check them out on the garden express catalog there is some really cool um, plants there and aquilegias is one that's really making a big comeback like the hippie astrums i was talking about before grant has asked a question now you didn't tell me where you're from grant but it's about indoor plants so it does help a little bit can you tell me why my indoor plants are browning on the ends of their leaves. Well, there's two reasons, Grant. This time of the year is when you start to see it because we've, if you've got your plants indoors, we've had the heater on, the heater's going, it's dry air, and you'll find that that does cause a little bit of browning around the, around the outside of, of the edges of your leaves. You can also get that from too much water. Um, but if you've got a combination of not enough water, so you're not watering enough, and very dry conditions, you will definitely see that. And it's the most common cause. How do you help your plant recover? Well, usually it's a case that they need to grow new leaves. Those leaves, once they start dying back, will eventually come off. So in about a month's time, I would suggest that you go through, prune them back, pull a few of those old leaves off, give them a good feed, give them a liquid feed and soak the pot. Really give it a good soaking. So it means taking them outside. Leave them outside for a couple of days just to soak up the environment. You should be fine. Now, let's go to Nelson Bay in New South Wales. Ricky, now, you've got naked lady bulbs. Now, they used to flower every year, but the last few years they haven't flowered. Well, that's because they're becoming a little bit concerned about who's looking at them. Those naked ladies can be a little bit shy at times. But, Ricky, seriously, sorry about that. I couldn't help myself. Ricky, they are one of those interesting plants. They, what they do is a mature bulb will produce a lot of flowers and they'll produce a lot of babies. And those babies will take a few years to get to that mature flowering stage. So you might be just in a transitional stage in your garden at the moment where the older bulbs have pretty much run out of steam and the younger ones are coming through. But I have no doubt in my mind that in the next couple of years, you'll start to see a lot of naked ladies popping up in your garden. It's just what happens when you let them mature and grow naturally. Marika, I'm not sure where you are. Oh, you're from Mudgee in New South Wales. Which plants are best for a hedge in Mudgee? Um, you've got no privacy at all. Well, between you and Ricky with her naked ladies, you need some privacy. And one of the best things you can do there is to make sure that you've got some some sort of larger hedging plants. So there's a, there's a beautiful, it's still one of my favourites, um, a beautiful zoysium um, or lily pilly hedge, one of those ornamental ones. It's called Bush Christmas. It's still incredibly popular. And this is really bushy. And if you, you let it grow quite tall and you can get it up sort of around that sort of two metre mark, nobody can see through. So you've got total privacy. So Marika, one of those, one of those, um, lily pillies is ideal, one of those ornamental lily pillies, but look for the hedging varieties. There's so many of them now, it, it's hard to keep up with all the different varieties coming through. I'm a bit of an old-fashioned guy. I really do like um, some of those traditional ones that perform year in, year out. Bush Christmas is the one I'm recommending. Folks, don't forget, hit the like button. It really does help a lot when it comes to answering your questions and to sharing those answers with your friends. Now, I'm really excited to share my plan of the week, but before I do that, just remember you could win yourself one of five packet seeds by telling us what edibles you're growing 
in your garden right now. The two that I'm so proud of at present are this one. Do you know what that is? And it's just starting to ripen. Um, typically this time of the year I would use the fruit green, even better in summertime, but I love the fruit fresh. This is pawpaw or papaya, as they're sometimes known. And um, this is one of the smaller forms. So you can get the big oblong um, forms that are just fantastic. They're zeppelin forms. Really delicious. Doesn't matter uh, either way which one you go for. They all have something in common, which is what I wanted to bring up with you. So we're all in lockdown. We're all inside. We're cooking hearty meals. And one of the downsides to having rich, hearty meals is that you start to get heartburn. And this is a fruit that has an enzyme in it that when you eat the fruit after you've had a meal, um, that might give you heartburn. And another good example of that is curry. If you eat this fruit afterwards, the enzyme reduces the acid. Um, so it basically balances it out a little bit and improves your gut's ability to process the food. So it's very, very good to, to include in a dessert or to have as fresh fruit at the end of a meal. So that's pawpaw. The second one I'm suggesting that you make sure you get into your garden if you don't have one now. And if you live in a coastal environment, then grow them in pots. But there is nothing better than homegrown blueberries. They are so good for you. One of the richest sources of antioxidants you can get. And the more you have, I think the better it is for you. So grow your own at home because they're not cheap to buy. Um, there's a few questions coming through. I've been raving about these plants, but they're really easy um, plants to grow. So, so whether it's, as I said to you, if you're in a coastal situation and it's blueberries, grow them in pots. Now, there is a little trick with blueberries. You need to grow them in camellia and azalea potting mix. The, it's a slightly acidic pH in that potting mix, and that's what they need. They need they'll grow really well if you've got a a, a nice you know, camellia garden bed or azalea garden bed, you've got some gaps. Don't be scared to go putting in blueberries. One of the the, the most interesting experiences I've ever had is, is working in Canada in the rainforests in northern Canada. And that's where many of the blueberry varieties originate from in that environment. And one of the most fascinating creatures you'll find there are the bears, the the, the big black bears or the brown grizzly bears. And they're very, very active through these forests as it comes into sort of that summer period of time. And bears have a very unique diet. So they hibernate during the winter. When they come out of hibernation, they eat rush, or they eat these grasses, these sedges um, that grow on the edge of the waterways. And they eat huge amounts of them. They get it in their gut and it builds up and they, it takes a lot for them to process it. The next thing that comes into, into fruit and flower en masse, which is really, really interesting, are blueberries. And a, and a full-grown grizzly bear has the capacity of eating anything up to a million blueberries a day. So you can imagine what they're doing. So for about a month to two months, all they do is eat blueberries. And then just as they're going into that, the salmon start running. And then they eat salmon, which are full of fatty oils. And that's all they eat. And one of the interesting things about bears, and the reason why I'm telling you about this and their diet, is that bears don't suffer from cancer. Bears don't get cancer at all. It's one of those interesting things. And there are many biologists out there that think that the reason they don't is because of their diet, because the way they've evolved and grown and they, they live with the seasons is such that, well, it just works for their body. They don't get any any of those toxins or any of those problems that we must be getting as we as we grow. So I thought I'm going to encourage you to grow pawpaws for a health reason. They're delicious. There's no doubt about it. But from the point of view of people who are suffering from digestive problems, this is one of those great fruits that you should have at the end of every meal. And from a, an overall health point of view, you can't go past blueberries. And of course, they taste fantastic as well. Grow them at home. Now, I'm getting quite a few of you starting to share your tips and hints and comments. Um, Sue, for example, bought three types of blueberry plants from Garden Express this year. Only problem you have is that you have to wait until they're big enough to harvest from. 
But apart from that, they're growing. They're going great. That's fantastic feedback. So, yeah, look, you're, you're probably. I'm not sure where you are, but you're probably a month away from starting to harvest, and they will probably produce fruit for a good two months. So, it's really good. Carolyn says she's growing broccoli and peas at the moment. Perfect packet seed there for sure, uh, Carolyn. Um, broccoli and peas are great to have in the ground just at the moment. And Nikki says she's growing pawpaws. Just bought. Little tomatoes and rhubarb. Annie has got uh, olives, tomatoes, passion fruit, blueberries, mulberries, now raspberries. Fantastic. Numala, I'm growing bok choy, red cabbage, and choy sum. I just had some pickled red cabbage on the weekend at a restaurant I went to. One of the most delicious vegetables I've had in a long period of time. Maybe that's something you could try with your red cabbage, Namala. Leone, I'm growing baby cauliflower, purple broccoli, uh, broccoli um, baby spinach, and it's all done in a waist-high long container as you've got no garden. That's awesome, and it just shows just what you can do. Julianne, beetroot, lettuce, oranges, lemons, mandarins, fantastic. You guys are doing some amazing work and I tell you what this is all inspiration for a great competition we want one person or maybe a school or community to enjoy the the spoils of this prize that we're running on the garden gurus if there is one question we get asked a lot here at the garden gurus it's how about you come to my place and build a garden well how about we do just that Here's your chance to win an amazing $20,000 edible garden makeover. All you have to do is head to our Facebook page, like it, and share a photo of your garden and tell us in 25 words or less why a Garden Guru's edible garden could transform your life. Whilst online, check out our Instagram page for great garden inspiration. Good luck. What a great competition. Make sure you enter. If you don't have a garden, maybe you want to enter your local community into it. We'd love to come and build a community garden for you. Or maybe there's a local school that could do with a little bit of help. This is a great chance to help your community. And a $20,000 edible garden makeover will go a long way. Now, just for all those people all over Australia who are not sure whether you qualify, if you are in Australia, you qualify. Just Remember this, it doesn't matter where you are. If you're in Darwin, if you're in Tasmania, if you're one of the big cities, it does not matter. You all qualify. So make sure you get on. We've never done anything like this. This is a big competition and we're doing it to make sure that we help the community and all the people that support us. Great way to do that. Now, we are still flying along. We've still got a heap of questions coming through. I'll answer a few more. Remember, hit the like button. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, Ricky is in Adelaide. Uh, my Elephant earbuds, labra, never grown big and beautiful. They are in pots. I think this is elephant ears. And, um, yeah, so, you know, interestingly enough, if they're in pots, the pots will be containing the size of the plant. So the bigger the pot, the bigger the leaves. That's the big tip with those. And um, they're a plant that does like a, a high nitrogen fertilizer, so they love producing lots and lots of growth. Um so make sure that you're looking at the fertilizer you're using. Um, a, a liquid, liquid uh, indoor plant fertilizer is good, or house plant fertilizer is good. But um, my suggestion would be that you maybe take a look at a combination of a controlled release. Um, one probably just the the Osmocote General, I would think, or uh, Osmocote controlled release for indoor plants plus um, that pour and feed or, or a liquid over the foliage. Any of those options will be really good for you, Ricky. I hope that helps. Annie's in Newcastle. I am after a plant for a south-facing deck. The deck gets a little morning sun and a late arvo sun. Okay. So typically a south-facing position would see that um, late afternoon you wouldn't really get it during the summer months. So that tends to be more in the sort of the – the north. Um, south facing is ideal to grow plants like peony roses. They are a wonderful plant if you if you want to get flowers. You're in Newcastle, it's probably it's probably on the borderline. You're probably going to be looking for something like a camellia or an azalea or um, you know if you wanted to go native plants, there's some lovely 
uh, you can get these beautiful weeping grevilleas that are grafted and they cascade down. Um, there's a, a, a bunch of options for you, Annie. I would suggest that you do either jump online to Garden Express or if you can, if you're allowed to, and I know that it's very difficult at the moment for everybody, um, maybe pop into your local garden centre or if, you have, if they've got a website, check it out. There will be so many different options for you. I know in my garden, in a position like that, at the moment, the one that I'm in love with that's producing buds, it'll be in flower in the next month, and it is just sensational, is the clivia. So clivias are a South African um, native bulb, and they're just gorgeous orange flowers. They come, there's some creams and some yellows, but, ah. Oh, they're just fabulous. So Clivia miniata is the one that I would be looking for. It's the one that produces the biggest, most spectacular flowers. So there's a few options for you. Erin uh, is in Brisbane. She's got a Calathea plant. It's two leaves and hasn't grown at all in two years. It's in premium potting mix on the patio. What can I do? It's unusual because Calatheas, which typically are an indoor or shade house plant, um, as long as they've got a bit of shade and they've got regular fertilizer, they'll produce really good results. So there is a product that you can get your hands on. It's called um, Pour and Feed. It comes from the guys at um, Osmocote. And I would suggest that once a week, probably from the first week you're in Brisbane, you know what, probably from now, and once a week you pour a little cap full of that liquid fertiliser, which is diluted, into the pot, and that should stimulate some pretty good growth. They do tend to grow slow until they've got their root system in. And then once the root system's up and going, they take off. So I think you're doing all the right things. Maybe it's the food, Erin. I hope that helps. Whew. How's that for a busy day? Wow, we've gone through quite a few questions. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, uh, I think uh, what I would suggest you do if you've missed out on getting your questions out today is go and keep posting them online and we'll look at joining you next Monday morning. I think uh, we've got Sue McDougall sitting in the chair next week and she'll be answering your questions. Um, of course, remember, um, for those people who who were sending messages through to um, to us uh, with regards to your edible plants, Michaela will be contacting you about um, seeds and also the best uh, the best question of the day, um, our book winner will be contacted straight after the show. Garden Gurus is back this Saturday, um, the 21st of August, on Channel 9. We're playing at 2.30pm, New South Wales, Victoria and Queensland at 4.30pm in WA and South Australia. But it's important you check your local TV guide because it is a little bit mixed up at the moment as nine juggles at sporting commitments. Remember, we've got this fantastic $20,000 edible garden makeover competition running. It's running through the first six weeks of this season of the Garden Gurus. Don't forget to enter. And, uh, of course, we have all the competition details here on our Facebook page. Um, and it's pinned in the comments as well. Thanks, Michaela. Remember, you can always jump on to our website and catch up on our previous stories from the Garden Gurus by visiting thegardengurus.tv or you can check out programs on our YouTube channel, uh, thegardengurus.tv. Um, we revealed on last week's show that we were ranked fifth in uh, Feedspot's top 15 Australia, uh, top 15 Australian gardening podcasts. And that's a great thing about this is you can listen back to this today's live stream and catch up on previous episodes by visiting Spotify, Apple Podcast and Audible. Sue McDougall will be in the chair next Monday. So make sure you tune in 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. And I'm Trevor Cochran. Thanks so much for joining me and the team this morning who make this all possible. Um, Rob, Jimmy, and of course, Michaela, our producer. Have a great week, everybody. Stay safe and we'll look forward to seeing you again real soon. Happy gardening. The Garden Gurus is back this weekend. Make sure you check out your local TV guide for your local times.